Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Drivers, start your engines! Hit the pace car! What for? Because you hit any other damn thing out there, I want you to be perfect! When I'm driving, I got a guy on the radio who talks to me. It's him. He talks to me. Race fans, welcome to the Hoobazoo Radio Network and welcome to the Drafting the Circus program. My name is Frank Santoroski. I'll be your host for the next hour as we talk about this past weekend in racing. Joining me this evening, I've got Louise Torres and Richard Uden. Guys, how are we doing? Good, thank you. Pretty good. Pretty good, yep. So, uh, so big weekend for NASCAR. Uh, all, all three of the, uh, national touring series of crown champions at the, the champion, uh, week in, uh, Phoenix, um, you know, much, uh, look forward to, uh, you know, this, uh, this season that seemed to, uh, you know, t- took forever to, to get going. Um, we had, uh, a lot of, uh, double headers and midweek races and, and all kind of NASCAR pulled all kind of stops out to, uh, get them a season in. We ran races with no practice and no qualifying. Uh, but at the end of the day, we were able to get through the entire playoff format, um, as planned. And at the end of the day, it's young Chase Elliott who is crowned the uh, NASCAR Cup champion. Um, Austin Cindric, uh is the Xfinity Series champion. Sheldon Creed uh, won the championship in trucks. And then Arca West also uh, wrapped up their season with uh, 15-year-old Jesse Love becoming a champion in that series. So, uh, guys, um, Phoenix, we had – now, Richard, you uh, – you were very optimistically picked Chase Elliott uh, to win this thing, and it's not um, optimism. It's not optimistic. It was a well worked out pick, as as evidenced by the fact that you were dead on correct. And, uh, and Chase didn't have it easy. He failed pre race, especially having to start from the back. So uh, let's let's talk about young Chase and uh, and um, his championship run. A bit of a dark horse, wasn't it? Really, I think, um, but. When you have the, uh, you know, you, you, you get into the final, you know, the World Series, if you like, and, uh, you know, you, you've got a team like Hendrick backing you, you can never be a, uh, discounted. But I think he had, what, five race wins, including the final two races of the mm-hmm. year. And, uh, you know, you've you got to be in it to win it. And he was in it and he won it. So, uh, you know, you've got to give him a huge amount of credit. And it's interesting that uh, the last Hendrick driver to win uh, the championship, Jimmy Johnson, when he won his seventh, he also failed pre-race inspection twice at Homestead that year. So, obviously, Hendrick aren't afraid to push the limit. And uh, actually, no, I stand corrected. Jimmy Johnson didn't fail post-race inspection twice when he won the championship. He passed inspection, and then they altered the car while it was sat on uh, pit road waiting for the race to start. And a NASCAR official spotted that change took the car back for inspection and it failed. So then they put him to the back. 
Um, now, whether that, whether whatever caused it to fail was ever fixed in both of their cases, I don't know. But, uh, you know, it's a very um, interesting dynamic. You know, how does that all play out when NASCAR turns around and says, well, I'm sorry, so your car's illegal. You can't rate, you know, you've got to change something. And then the team says, well, no, we're not going to change it because we think it's legal. Um, you know, it becomes a very public standoff. And are you going to deny one of the championship for the chance to win the championship? You know, the teams really do have, you know, quite a, a strong way of uh, sort of letting NASCAR a little bit due to the vagaries of their rule uh, or the rules, um, you know, implementation. Um, so it's a very interesting cat and mouse games that the team play. And obviously Hendrick played it again this time and, and they won. Yeah, it's obviously we've talked about this in the past. Uh, you know, after the championship races, there that it just, it, you know, sometimes it seems almost it seems almost odd or, or it seems almost um, staged <laughs> that when we come to this final race, it's always those four guys that are in the finals are, are yeah. right up right up there at the front. And I don't know if that's uh, uh, that they put that much more preparation into it, knowing knowing that they're going for the title. Oh, yeah. And maybe some of the other teams uh, will hold back a little bit or if they're just pushing the envelope. But certainly, I, you know, I've, based on the fact that, uh, you know, Chase Elliott was put to the back after failing the you know, pre-race inspection, you know, it's hard to say that, that there's any sort of fixes in, because if the fix was in, well, heck, they'd have just let him start up front. But, um, yeah, yeah. but at the end so of the I day, yeah, we, yeah we, we do know NASCAR teams like to see what they can get away with. Uh, this is part of the culture of NASCAR, and, and, it's, and it's part of uh, how it works. And, you know, like I say, historically, we've seen the championship contenders at the front, in, in the final race, you know, even even if you yeah. go back, you know, you know, go back years and years, right? So say like 1992, right? You know, mm-hmm. um, it was between Kowicki and Bill Elliott, right? And here's two guys over the course of the season who, who really rarely battled one another for the win. You know, they were they were better at different tracks, but when we got to Atlanta for the season ender, it was those two guys in the front. So, and I think it just has to do with preparation for the championship. Yeah, for sure, oh, yeah. that is definitely the case. And also, not just that, the top four were the championship four on all three stages. That to this day, only one time we've seen a championship four, four contender fail the finish, and that was obviously Carl Edwards at 2016. So the fact that we made it this far into this format, and still among every every carnation of the championship four, every edition that we've had, we still only had one involving an incident failed to finish, kind of shows you the testament how wise and how competitive this title chase is and i believe it's the first time that all four championship contenders finish in the top four since it's been implemented mm-hmm. with jimmy johnson running out the top five which was honestly a good way to end a career after what's been a kind of like a torrid yet horrid final couple of years for him yeah the last couple yeah. of years the last couple of years have been a little rough on jimmy but he wasn't you know he wasn't horrible he was never uh, he wasn't like you know, Richard Petty at the end of his career, no. career where, where they had to come up with the champions provisional so that he wouldn't uh, be going home after qualifying. You know, he was still in there. He just couldn't couldn't break victory circle there. So, uh, but now, Luis, yeah, you had. With, oh, go ahead. I think the thing with uh, with Jimmy Johnson's season is he actually started out pretty strong post pandemic. You remember those runs at yeah. Darlington? Could have um, won. And it was could really have been up there in the first Darlington race. Yeah, it was really the Charlotte race where he finished second but then got disqualified that um, I think really sort of kicked them and mm-hmm. and sort of put them uh, behind the eight ball, really. And maybe whatever they found that caused them to be disqualified is something that they've been running all year and, 
you know, didn't have that um, that particular yeah. component or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I got you. Yeah, so. yeah. Now, Louise, when we were making our prediction for this championship race, you had speculated that one of the harder things for Chase Elliott to overcome would be um, pit stops. Yeah. I uh, said so the, the, the team had, had struggled with pit, pit stops. You have to be perfect 100% of the time to win uh, championships. But it wasn't it wasn't pit stops that bit Chase on this day, but but rather I, I believe Keselowski has some yeah. issues in the pits. Yeah, and usually we hear about Penske perfect pit stops. So, uh, yeah. so let's let's get it get into that a little bit because uh, it, it seemed like uh, Chase did a fine job and that whole team did a fine job in the pits all day, particularly when it comes to getting him from the back to the front. Yeah, Chase wasted no time to get towards the front. Like I said, in all three stages, the top four finish where they in the top four per, on all three stages. And Chase had was before the competition caution, he was already in the top ten. So we knew from there it's like he was going to be competitive. But the question is, certain components falling in the in his favor for this big race. The crew were on it. Keslowski, on the other hand, were not. Keslowski did everything he could. He showed he probably had probably the best car among the four. As seen with the Xfinity race with Austin Center, he had the best long-running car. That's much of the same with Brad. But the problem is those pit stops, those slow stops, had to set him back. And then when it was, when BK finally got to his second, it was too late to catch Chase. So, when because there was a long stretch of grief, I think the only notable caution that does, that's not competition or stage related was just a slap brush on the wall by James Davison. So it was a clean race. That was a desperate yellow, wasn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it was. No, it's silly. It's ridiculous. It's like I said to myself, no discredit to James Davison, but I felt like the way the season has gone, James Davison is often, or Rick Werkar are often the ones that are involved in these late race cautions or, or a certain caution that will twist the race around. And did it ultimately do that? to an extent, but not significant like the other times were, like a Daytona, or, or for example, where you had that cut tire, then what was a clean super speedway race turned to a wreck fest at the very end. Yeah, so are you saying that James Davison or Rick Ware may be on somebody's payroll to put – we need a caution, get Davison on the radio. So Some, Because there's a couple, couple friends Did of mine. Did he have an itchy elbow? No. No, it didn't have an itchy elbow that needs scratching. No, it, that was just a spurt of the wall, but that that was definitely desperate. They didn't need it. The way the race was shaped out, I don't think it'd be too dramatic. But in the end, Brad had the be- probably the better overall car. Just the crew let him down. Period. Yeah, there were there were stages of that race where Brad was definitely the fastest guy on the track. So, but I want to I want to circle back to. Um, when you were saying that uh, Chase Elliott made very quick work of getting uh, back to the front. Um, do you think that's a testament to the fact uh, that his car was just that, that well set up or that well balanced? Or do you think that's a testament to the fact that uh, all the other guys in the race there did not want to be the one to hold him up and, and perhaps alter the championship by, uh, uh, you know, by racing him hard for the position? They just let him go? I think it's just a strong car was shown in the, like, what was it, like, 50 to go or so when Chase was catching Joey Logano, who was my pick for the championship because of the way how strong he was very late, similar to Chase. But at least, as you already know, I already had my discretion for Chase when it comes to the team. 
because they had to step it up. But Elliott did make a hard work, hard fought race with Logano. He just got by. And just nobody. I'm out of a charge with him. I don't think as much have anything to do with they don't want to interfere because there were times those lap traffic that were in the way. You'll have that. So I don't think as much of that. It's more or less that he's just had a strong car. And Elliott has been good at Phoenix in the past, just not have the results to show for it compared to, like, Hamlin, Logano, and even Brad Keselowski at times. Right. So let's uh, well, let's talk about Chase and his legacy. I mean, he's uh, – He's still rather young. He's in. Is it his his fifth full season of competition, or? Yeah, because his first full year was sixteen, when he took over Jeff Gordon's twenty four. Yeah, so that's I mean, that's right for him to just start piling up championships now. Although you know we haven't seen anybody actually pile up championships since uh, the Jimmy Johnson and Jeff uh, Gordon years. Um, the the. Uh, we had, you know, the only multiple champion we've had is uh, recently has been Kyle Busch, um, and know, he is the only one going into 2021 now. Right, right, yeah, with with Jimmy out of the picture. So, uh, but uh, certainly, you know, Chase has a lot of good years left in him. He's got a great team behind him. Um, he's got uh, he's got a great crew chief there. So this could be, uh, you know, the uh, and sort of the kid has racing in his blood. I was. Folks were sharing a lot of, uh, you know, old pictures of uh, Chase Elliott as a child, you know, just around the yeah. racetrack his whole life because obviously his dad was on the road racing all the and time. And I still so. remember all of that. When I started, when I first started watching NASCAR in 03, uh, the first few the kids that I remember were Chase Elliott and John Hunter Nemechek. Look where they're at right now. Make, that's why I, I made a comment that I feel real old because I remember the first time watching NASCAR, Please. I even remember the kids' <laughs> names. The driver's son's names, and now they're now one of them is a champion. And here's the thing about Chase: he's people. It wasn't not not that long ago, but when he was struggling to get that first win, people were saying, "Oh, he's a bust. He's all that." It's like, how is a guy finishing in the top ten? He's finished in the top ten in points every single season. He's made the playoffs every year. How is he a bust in his third full year? Yeah, he may not have had a win at the time, but he was pretty good he's competing for wins he's not wrecked the cars a lot he's what i expected him because remember the sky was the limit after he won at darlington and then the xfinity race when it was nationwide at the time it's like as soon as he won that race like this kid got talent it's like you don't go into the in the into darlington the first time and win as a rookie you just don't chase did it and then he backed it up and then he won tex and all was like from there it's like he's gonna be something and lo and behold, we're now in 2020 where the sport's most popular driver did something that the others like uh, couldn't do, which was Dale Jr. But I think it's a good start. Uh, <laughs> no, I, I, I thought you were going to say Danica Patrick for a second. No. <laughs> if, 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 if she, I can't believe, to this day, I cannot believe she never won those popular drivers. You'd think that would have been the change, but nope, Dale Jr. Jr. Nation was that strong even to the twilight of his career. And people still love Dale. I mean, he's a, yeah. he's got a really wonderful uh, podcast I listen to every week, and he's got a, <laughs> got a great TV show uh, about uh, lost racetracks uh, that was on the Peacock, but now they're showing on NBCSN, and it's uh, Dale is entertaining as always. So, but uh, back to your point about somebody. Yes, yes. <laughs> but um, to your point about somebody calling Chase Elliott a bust in his third year, I mean, that's just, that's just crazy. In 2018, you know? but, yeah. Yeah, like, yeah. This guy, it's like once he wins, he's going to go for it. And look what he's done. He's at- 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary, void, or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. Average three wins a year, except this year he won five. <clears throat> That's pretty good for a guy to, that is in their first five years to rack up an average of three wins or so a year. Yeah, he certainly has the makings to be the new face of NASCAR. You know, you've got you've got guys like uh, you know folks have mentioned the sport has lost a little bit of that star power uh, with guys like um, you know Jeff Gordon retiring and Tony Stewart and now Jimmy Johnson and, and all those um, you know big big names uh, and then what you're left with is you know all these these other guys your Joey Logano's your Kyle Bushes right who who uh, really or, you know they're big they're big they're, or or, or Denny Hamlin, who are who are really fine drivers in their own right, but they don't seem to have that, you know, that that star power that just, uh, you know, the, yeah, that that that, cap, that captivating personality that makes you the, the face of the sport. You know, that you know certainly yeah. Jeff Gordon had that. Certainly Dale Jr. had that. Um, Tony Stewart was a, a polarizing character as well. A lot of people loved him. So, but I think Chase got every every bit of that potential to become the next new face of NASCAR. Especially as, especially as we, you know, go into move to the, you know, the new car and the new, you know, new procedures and whatnot as we try to attack a younger fan base. Yeah, for sure. Does he have the swag like Dale Jr.? Probably not when you look back, but Chase has that, that star power, like, much like Dale Jr. Because, of course, Bill, before Dale Jr., Bill Elliott was the guy racking up most popular driver every single year. Before Elliot decided to pull out from the sport and also from the competition, and the most I just think I, I just think with Chase sometimes when you look at him in interviews and in TV stuff, it just it just seems a little bit. Uh, maybe take this the wrong way. It just feels like a little bit of hard work. You know, he doesn't have that natural sort of um, flair, charisma side of things. Yeah, like sweat. Yeah, the swag or charisma. Yeah. Yeah, and you know, so that's where I wonder if you know he will. He is, the, you know, obviously his dad had it, but you just think he's maybe a little bit more. I don't know. It just seems forced at times, and that's no disrespect to the kid. I mean, everybody's different, but I certainly think there are some guys out there who are maybe a little bit more suited to the sort of mantle of you know carrying the sport on its shoulders sort of thing. Yeah, time will tell. Here's one thing. Chase has handled it real well. Unlike unlike Jimmy Bly, who can't handle anything well. <laughs> you want to be like... Jimmy, Jimmy Bly. Bly. You, had to, you had to make a, a driven reference, you know. 
Yeah, you don't want to be a Jimmy Blyer on a spark handling <laughs> stuff and all the buzz and hype is because, good Lord, he that looked like a guy that would event that would probably snap in a heartbeat the way he the way he handles stuff. Well, he, he did, didn't he? Snap, he stole the cars, the prototypes, drove it down no, the he, street. <laughs> yeah, or just the literalist thing, but yeah. And also, he I think he's more like mild manner, almost kind of like Alan Kowicki in a way. And I think somebody put it on an excellent analogy. It seems like the the Hooters drivers from the past and right now are mild manner human beings. They're not like your charismatic, polarizing folks. They're just a more mild manner, which is kind of interesting when you look at it. Yeah. Because remember, Jimmy Johnson, he back in the day, even back in the day, it was he had. It's like Sebastian Vettel almost. Like when you hear him over the radio, he gets very excited for a win and all that. But then down the stretch, like you still see it. But it's kind of like maturity is, is concerning. Kind of like, yeah, he understands his place and role, but he shows it. Chase does too. Look, we saw that in Marksville three years ago. He's not a, he's not afraid to use the bumper when it's necessary. So maybe we'll see a little bit more of that. But as long as it's not forced, you know, like you mentioned. You know, I think, honestly, having the title of cup champion already in the bag, I think, takes a lot of pressure off his shoulders. You know, and yeah. I think and I think it maybe opens him up to be a little more easygoing. I don't know. I don't know if there's credence to that or not, but, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see. Uh, but, again, the kids' fan base continues to grow. Um, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of folks that used to cheer for his dad, cheer for him. A lot of folks that are new to the sport cheer for Chase because he's young and, they, and 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 the kid wins races. So, but um, yeah, so we're um, done with the uh, 2020 season. That was a, a very interesting one. Again, you know, uh, <laughs> I remember months and months ago we thought all we were ever going to get to watch was uh, i racing, and and the only one <laughs> the only one really excited about that was Seth. Um, but <laughs> You know, at the end of the day, NASCAR was able to um, get – how many races did they get in? Did, did they get – all of them. So yeah, they all, of them. all of them. They, made, they were back on track by the time – They didn't have they any off weeks. Before they Daytona, they, yeah. Uh, had double headers and, you know, midweek races at Darlington at the start of the return. So, yeah, no, Darlington, you know, Charlotte, Marsville. They've got to have a huge amount of credit. Uh, you know, the governing body, NASCAR, there to get everything back up and running and to get a full season in. It's been very impressive. Yeah, we had, you know, some races with fans, some races with no fans, you know, some races with very limited fans. But, uh, you know, it was it was just great to kind of feel that normalcy of Sunday afternoon putting on a race and watching it. Yep. Yeah, you know, and it so. felt ba- better that we're back on normal times instead of those 4 p.m. Eastern races. Good grief, those were rough to go through. In or those family. Wednesday night Wednesday night races, which seemed to, you know, make make very little sense. But uh, I guess it doesn't matter if there's no fans traveling to get there. So, but in other news, so let's talk about our friend um, Austin Cindric, the guy we uh, yep. they say one step closer to the Indy 500. Austin Cindric, who famously <laughs> said, "I believe my path to the." Indy 500 goes through NASCAR. We still don't know how he came up with that. But um, uh, he capped off a, a really good season. And, you know, he had some stiff competition uh, through the season. This was, you know, this was not handed to him in any any way, shape, or form. You know, the, uh, the, the four guys battling for the Xfinity title, it was as tight as a cup title. It was a very, very evenly matched. Could have went either way. But uh, 
Austin handled himself very well at Phoenix. Had a was given a great car by the Penske organization and uh, was able to bring that one home. Oh yeah, for sure. He he, like I mentioned, I alluded to earlier with Brett. Austin had a strong long run car, whereas Justin Allgaier, who was basically the biggest threat in that whole entire race, just could not get it dialed in when it comes to the longer green flyer. He was a good short runner, but when it comes to the long haul. Cindric was just exponentially better, and he did what he had to do to be champion because everybody said this call is going to be Briscoe versus Cindric. It looked like it was going to be the case in the opening stage, but Briscoe just struggled at down the stretches. Like, what is it with Stuart Haas cars in the Xfinity finale just coming in as potential favorites based on the pass or dominance, and they don't get it done in the finale? We said, like, Cole Custer a couple times, like, Oh, we're going to Homestead. He's in a championship. Oh, he's going to win a championship. But no, Tyler Reddick was the one who did it, outsmarted him, and just had much better car. Custer just couldn't get there. In the case of Briscoe, Seth Phoenix just lost him. And then he ultimately brought up the caution that sent it into overtime, to which Austin was very upset about. It's like, they're very close. They're good friends and all. But when that championship's on the line, every man for himself, all bets are off. Fortunately for Cindric. He was able to get it done. Now, they were telling – I heard his radio. They're telling him to don't have, don't worry about Gregson. No, Gregson, because he was probably the best of the rest. Gregson – some people say it was either going to be Ross Chastain or Noah Gregson. That's going to factor into this thing. People were saying Gregson is what is the reason why all guy lost the championship. I looked at Austin's onboard. It looked like to me that they were just hard-fought racing. Nobody cost anybody nothing. Just – Cindric just had a much better motor, and if I recall correctly, fresher tire. No, did the same strategy as Sheldon Creed did. Now that I remember, because that played. Yeah, a he grabbed. He grabbed. Grabbed new tires right close to the end for the final stint. Yeah. Now, <laughs> now remember, Pisa did he get? But no, people are saying that Gregson cost all guard championships. Then it looked like it's that way. They just drove their tails off. Because well, Gregson I mean, Cindric cost both those guys a championship. <laughs> You know, by winning the race. So. Oh, but that too. Well, Gregson wasn't in the championship for He was just looking for a win, period. Right, right, Haley right. was the other guy. Now, it's Richard. Yeah. Now, 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 Richard, I want to I want to circle back to this uh, the car that's very good on long runs. And uh, you mentioned Keselowski, and you, and you mentioned. You telepathic. Well, good, yeah, because I, I've known, like, traditionally, right, because I, I, I tend to watch Keselowski a lot. Uh, over the course mm-hmm. of, of the season because he's, uh, you know, one of my favorite drivers. And I've noticed that he, more often than not, has a car that is very good on long runs and and it tends to get better over the duration as the, the, of the run while other mm-hmm. cars tend to fade. Is that something with the setup of the car or is that have more to do with, with the driving style? Because I find it interesting that we have Austin Cindric here in the same situation who's also – uh, in Penske, but the funny thing is Logano, you can't always say the same about him, who's also in a Penske car. He's not always great in the long run. He tends to be more of a, over the short, the, runs, short yeah. the shorter runs, yeah. So, I mean, what, what is it that makes a difference? Is it setup, driver, tires? It's a bit of everything, really. Um, predominantly setup, I'd say. Uh, but, you know, we, we know about Brad that he is extremely talented at, um, like, you know, He's like the, the um, Scott Dixon, isn't he? You know, e- eking out fuel mileage and, um, you know, being able to, 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 to make that car last a little bit longer. And as you say, you know, a good long run 
Carter, but it, it, it is predominantly um, car setups, whether that's tyre pressures, track bar, uh, you know, the, the, the things like that. And, and, and I think what you've noticed, or what I've certainly noticed anyway, in the last two or three years, you know, that sort of style um, differentiation between long run, short run has become far more obvious again. And I think a lot of that's to do with the removal of the driver adjustable track bar. And if you remember back, um, I think it's 2015 was the first year they had it through to, I think 18 was the last year they had it. Um, you know, the driver could adjust the track bar um, in, in mid, mid, you know, fr from the steering wheel. Um, and that allowed him to change the handling of the car, and that would allow stuff like tyre scrub to, to change. So you could actually change the amount of wear you were putting through the tyre. And... You know, you, so cars, you know, you probably set up your car a little bit more short run. And then as the car, you know, went throughout the run, you'd adjust it up and up to make it better at, you know, tire management. And at first people think, oh, you know, guys will be adjusting this track by, you know, twice a lap, you know, going into turn one and going into turn three. Well, they very rarely did that. You know, they'd adjust it every three or four laps just to help tire wear and help the handling of the car. Some drivers never touched at all. Martin Truex, for example, never touched his, oh, very rarely. Other guys would do it every lap, you know, as they felt it getting closer and closer. So I think it is a lot of it is set up. Um, and I think throughout the season, it's an interesting thing to look at and to watch. And you look at Joey Logano when he won the championship in 2018. The only reason he won the championship, okay, he got to the final four, but his car was set up for a short run car. And, you know, it was a short run at the end there when, um, you know, he, he won the championship. Um, you know, and, and other guys who were in that championship for, they'd gone for more of a long run setup and they didn't have an opportunity. And, and you know, obviously, you look at it a little bit from a statistical standpoint. You know, you look at what the average duration of the last stint of a race is. And if it's, you know, a relatively long stint, then you will set your car up for a longer run. Because at the end of the day, that's where, you know, you, you take home your check, isn't it, on that last stint going to the checkered flag. So it's all a little bit analytical. But unfortunately, you know, the last race of the season, it's, you know, when you've got a championship on the line, you, you've got to play to your strengths. Um, and if your strength isn't long run, then you set up a short, you know, a short run car and, and vice versa. So it's probably more obvious that that last race of the season, because you, you can't, you know, you've got to go for it and you play into your strengths. Um, but it, it is an interesting thing. And in a way, I think, taking away that driver adjustable track bar has maybe diminished a little bit from the sport, but it's difficult because the, the, you know, 99% of the fans don't really know what it does or how it works or anything like that. So, um, you know, I understand why they got rid of it, but it, it does sort of handicap the drivers a little bit and, uh, you know, limit what they can do in a car going throughout a run. All right. Great analysis, Richard. So now the other champion we want to talk about is uh, Sheldon Creed. So, Louise, did you get a chance to watch the truck race? Oh, for sure. That one, that one, I think, is where more people were angry about the most compared to Cup and Xfinity. The Xfinity, people were mild-mannered due to the fact they had their reasons because, you know, the cumulative point system, the old way would have Cindric as the only one that won both systems. Obviously, racing would be different, but that's besides the point. The biggest thing that will happen is at the end of the race where Tanner Gray and Dawson Cram got into it in the old backs, the old front stretch of Phoenix, bringing out a caution that said it overtime. The guy up front was Brett Moffitt. 
Mafa, not only he was looking for that second championship in the last three seasons, he's also fighting for his job. He has no contract for 2021. So what did they decide to do? To put Moffitt into the pits, try to see if it works to get into that championship. But then when the race resumed, he got Ben Rhodes and several other drivers kind of got into it. You, your, your wild Phoenix restarts happened, and a lot of people got angry at Ben Rhodes once again for hurting Moffitt's championship. Moffitt had a beautiful-looking truck. He was driving Jimmy Johnson's 2006 throwback, Zach the Plan B sales and all of that sponsorship. It was, uh, it was looking like, oh, Moffitt's going to win the championship in Jimmy Johnson's colors. But then down at the very end, Sheldon Creed just had a stronger restart and much fresher tires that got the job done and ultimately got his first championship. And now when you look at Sheldon Creed, he's going to be known as an ARCO champion, a stadium super truck champion, and now the truck series champion. And Creed had a good season. His finest, yeah, he did. He's polished some of his driving. He finally showed what he – I felt like he was – probably capable of is what we saw in Arca, successful strong champion maybe maybe some people say that was the last true strong Arca campaign that the sport has seen and now not only he come out here winning races he's done it on a road card all of his races people say oh he's gonna win Eldora that's probably gonna only gonna win he'd probably be okay but no Moffitt no not Moffitt Sheldon Creed has grown into a pretty good a damn good truck series driver to nobody's surprise in my to not my surprise because I said he's probably going to be good, but the fact he got the championship is a good sign. But Moffitt, yeah, he was he was certainly the, the the outlier, the dark horse uh, coming into the thing. You didn't hear a lot of people talking about Sheldon Creed. You know, no, because but, but, a lot of people were talking about Saint Smith maybe be strong because he showed really good runs in the round of was it the round of what was it round of seven or six whatever it was the previous round. Where he had, he could have won Kansas. He was showing strong runs, but Sheldon Creed was just there. He was like the dark horse. I thought Grant Enfinger was probably going to get it done because more of the sentimental factor of what I mentioned last week. But he wasn't much of a contender in that one at all. It was basically the GMS show because three quarters of not just because there's three out of the four were from the GMS table, they were the show, and Creed got it done. But Moffitt was not too pleased about the whole situation. Kind of called out the crew crew for not getting the job done that bit the Achilles heel all season it's like you're doing yourself no favors by saying that when you don't have a, a job for next season yet and I think just comments it's gonna hurt him big time yeah it won't he help have, no he may not be back for GMS racing last time I understood there's a possibility he may go to Xfinity with our motorsports but we'll see but GMS I don't think that'll help Fortunately, somebody asked at the post-conference if he, if it was uh, Mike Beam, if he heard what Moffat said on the television, he hadn't, so he had, he'll have to observe and see what happens. And I'd imagine if we don't hear Moffat coming back for GMS, that's probably the final straw, what happened at Phoenix. Certainly. Now, the interesting thing, now, since you bring that up, you know, a lot of times in the, you know, in the higher-tier racing series, in, in the Cup Series, these guys, they, they know what their plans are for the following season. A lot of times these things are announced uh, well in advance, who's staying, who's going. But uh, when you come down to the Junior Series, the Truck Series, a lot of these guys, they, their plans are up in the air, right? Right into the oh, yeah. off season, right? So like every every little bit counts, especially when we get down to the, to the stretch there. And there's, yeah. you know, so a lot of these guys are you're performing for auditioning for a job for next year. You know, there's, yeah, there's like because they, right. Yeah. Like the expectation in the junior series is to, uh, you know, move up. 
but uh, you know, certainly the the are you ready to move up is not always determined early in the season. So uh, you know, and you got guys that are career truck racers and guys that are career Xfinity racers, but um, but yeah, a lot of times these these things are not settled or decided on until after the and sometimes even um, at, at the very last minute when the new season begins. So that being said. Um, what, do, what do we know of uh, Sheldon Creed's plans for 2021? Does he have anything solid, or is he, uh, is he out there going to stamp a truck champion on his resume and uh, take it around to Xfinity teams? Creed is in the clear. So is Tyler Ankrum and Zane Smith. Moffitt is the only one that has no dotted line for GMS Racing, whereas Jack Wood does out east slash Sioux Chief Challenge in ARC. Sam Mayer, of course, going to – Xfinity in the second half once Josh Berry does the first half. So, okay, so now when you say when you say these guys are we say these guys are in the clear, you mean they're back in the truck series next yeah. year, correct? Okay. Yeah. All right. So so another another year of trucks at least for Sheldon Creed. Yeah. Pretty okay. Much another year for him. All right. Then we know, if, and we of course we know. Yeah, Austin Cendrick, another year of Xfinity is in the cars for him. He's already. His plans are already decided up till 2022. He moves up into the Cup Series with the Wood Brothers. So, Yeah, the cha- aside from Briscoe, the three other championship four contenders, they're back with their same teams next season. There's a possibility, there's a wild rumor out there that a, a JR Motorsports driver is planning to go to colleague. There's a heavy a wild rumor out there. Not going to mention who, who exactly on there once it's confirmed. It'll, you'll, I mean, we all know. But it's looking pretty good for one guy that's been trying his absolute darndest to get a strong ride on a consistent basis. Whether it's full-time, whether it's part-time, I think it's a good step in the right direction because you know that eight car is going to be occupied by Barry and Mayer. So that leaves, obviously, two guys that drove it finding a ride at this time. I won't mention who exactly on air right now. So you've bad as Seth talking in the riddles. I can't mention who. I can't mention who, but uh, somebody, some, this guy, this guy who ran well at this track, I can't tell you his track. Yeah. So, riddle me this. Riddle me this. So, uh, yeah. So, um, and then wrapping up our championship um, discussion, uh, Jesse Love won the ARCA West. Now the ARCA National Series was decided, you know, last month the uh, ARCA East was decided Quite a while back, they, I think they only got a very, very partial season in. But uh, but Arca West uh, finished up, and where were they racing? They were also at Phoenix. They were also That's at Phoenix. So. At the quadruple championship. Right, right. So, uh, yeah, Jesse Lowe, I, I, I can't say I know a lot about anybody in the Arca series, but uh, congratulations to this young guy. He's not even old enough to have a driver's license to drive a road car, but here he is, a uh, <laughs> an Arca champion. Yeah, he had a pretty good season where I heavily judge strong results as top threes and how can they adapt with the East because it was basically an East showcase, 27 cars, real healthy field, but it was curbs, the, the East curbs stopped the West for the into, all the way through. It kind of came down to Sam Mayer, Ty Gibbs, and David Gillen, who won from the pole. Gillen and beat Gibbs on the last lap, and got himself his first West win since Sonoma in 2012. The best West regular was Trevor Huddleston, who finished, I believe, seventh, and then Gracie Trotter, who finished third in the championship trails, the one who won in Las Vegas a couple months ago. She finished 10th, so both had a great run. Jesse Love finished 14th, 
Blaine Perkins, the other championship rival, had a mechanical problem. He finished 25th. He fell out of the race, so that gave the 15-year-old who came in into this season basically as a virtual unknown, other than he's the guy that replaced Haley Deegan in that 19 Toyota for Bill McAnally Racing. And now he's got himself a couple wins and a championship, so I think keep an eye on that guy. He did pretty good also uh, with Venerini Motorsports on the couple of times he drove for them in the East and National Arca in Winchester. He did, I say, there's a lot of untapped potential from that from that guy. So we'll see. Oh how yeah, be, yeah, be, yeah. And being only 15, he's got plenty of years, plenty of years to uh, to build on that. But that's that's quite an accomplishment for such a young person. So. All right, with that being said, that wraps up uh, NASCAR and ARCA 2020. Uh, looking forward to 2021. Hopefully we'll have more normalcy in our life. I don't know if we'll return to packed grandstands or if we'll still be uh, limited um, capacity. I, I don't know if we're going to go back to having practice and qualifying. A lot of that is up in the air. But what we do know is that during the off season, they will be testing the Gen 7 car at several different places in the most uh, – uh, um, Recent one coming up will be uh, Martin Truex and Kurt Busch will be running two different um, prototype versions of the Gen 7 car at Charlotte on the road course. So, Richard, what are what do you know about this uh, new car? I know we've got um, you know several things that have been uh, spoken about with it, and a couple of different uh, manufacturers with their their name in there for play to uh, produce the thing. But uh, let's talk a little bit about this uh, Gen 7 car, which should hit the tracks in 2022. Yeah, it's um, a more, I mean, it'll look very, very similar. Um, you know, from the outside, you won't see uh, many differences, but uh, it's it's a big step up in terms of how should we describe the modernization of the sport. Um, you know, you're going to um, independent suspension rather than your um, truck arm suspension that you currently have. I mean, truck arm suspension goes back to the 1950s in the Ford pickup truck. Um, so, you know, it's a long overdue change, I think. And, um, you know, from the team's perspective, it'll be a lot cheaper. It'll be buying individual chassis rather than uh, building them themselves, which will, uh, you know, save them a lot of money and save them, especially in terms of R&D. Now, there will be suspension components and components outside of the main chassis that will be um, open to uh, development by the teams. So there will still be – it's not going to become a spec series, but there are areas that they've deemed that will be suitable for, um, you know, de development. And I think it's a good, you know, it's a good move by, by the sport, really. Um, there's lots of shenanigans that go on with chassis, and uh, it costs a huge amount of, uh, of money. I mean, one of the things we used to do um, was uh, you, you'd take a chassis, and it'd have to be a certain weight. Uh, and each chassis you built, you'd send off to NASCAR, and uh, it would get weighed and scanned and checked and all that sort of stuff and certified, and then you'd... Uh, get a little plate on the chassis that uh, should have been certified by NASCAR, and then um, to to lighten it up but make it still appear the same, you'd actually send it off to get it acid dipped, which would uh, erode some of the stainless steel and reduce the weight of the chassis, and in, in some cases make it you know less rigid um, and, and reduce the integrity, which obviously had safety implications. Um, and now, obviously, the, 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 you know, the, the, they're getting away from that now, um, and you know, those sort of things won't be possible. Um, so I think it's a good move by the sport, and 
you know, I don't think it'll improve the racing per se, but it'll certainly improve, you know, make it more level playing field. I think when it comes from a financial standpoint. Yeah, there's a, yeah, there's there's an argument, um, you know, underfoot uh, about certainly this will be a tremendous cost saving to the teams, but but at the same at the same point where there's the possibility that it will it'll actually cost uh, jobs at the team level for the guys. They that, will uh, do, unfortunately. I mean, so, but but but, but one would one would imagine that they're still building the same amount of race cars, which means that these guys that are building cars now certainly can seek employment with the. With the company, companies that will be building the cars, uh, or, they, yeah, or they certainly I, I, will have I, I, plenty of skills. There's still plenty of jobs in racing, but uh, they essentially are eliminating uh, positions at the team level, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, I mean, at, at, at Childress, where I was before, you know, we had a whole chassis shop, which was, maybe, I, I couldn't give you a number, but 50 guys probably. Uh, I mean, they'll still need body hangers and panel beaters and guys like that, but from the, in terms of the actual raw chassis side, I mean, that'll be pretty much wiped out. Uh, I don't know what Xfinity and Truck are doing, but uh, there may be some amount of um, cross, you know, uh, work between those guys. But um, it, 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 it's, it's a shame because, you know, there's some very, 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 very talented fabricators involved in the sport. Um, but, you know, they are still, you know, operating at the highest level and they will be um, able to, 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 to reallocate and, and get jobs in different um, fields that uh, are different industries and different companies that will certainly um, appreciate the skills that some of these fabricators have or these welders have. You know, it's an art form. It really is. Now, some teams, as far as I'm aware, like... Um, um, yeah, let's give an example. Uh, Penske, they actually did a lot of robotic manufacturing, uh, you know, welding and, and, and cutting and the like, whereas, um, you know, so, so they'll probably take a smaller hit than maybe a, a children, for example, who had all hands-on uh, work. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Again, we've got a whole entire season to get through before that new car debuts. And again, like you said, some of the features of the new car are the independent suspension, which, like you said, is long overdue, long oh, overdue, yeah. right? And uh, and then the other thing is going to be, of course, the um, the uh, single lug nut, which will really change the way um, you know NASCAR pit stops are done because uh, you know. Anything to the uh, the the. the um Low-profile tire as well, or am I mistaken? Uh, I, I think that was one of the things that was discussed. I don't know if that's a, a 100% certainty or not. Yeah, but I, I haven't have... heard much of that. I know in Formula 1 they are. I didn't know if they're doing it in NASCAR. And I know in NASCAR for a while they also discussed putting air jacks inside the car, similar to IndyCar. Let's but I think that look... one's... I think the rim's yeah, again, a little bit more was... bigger on the side a little bit more compared to the NASCAR ones. I think I've heard that as well. Yeah, I know, you know, the, the advantage with having an air jack would be, you know, cost saving is you wouldn't need to employ a jack man. Um, but then obviously you've got the weight of the car and the complexity of the car, so who knows? Well, but I mean, at the end of the day, that jack man is not just a jack man who they, who, who you know, who does his job five times on Sunday. That's a full time employee who has a job at the shop as well. So uh, not always. But not always. OK. You know, the big teams, you know, uh, I. Uh, you know the Gibbs and the Hendrick and the guys like that. Either their their pit stop guys typically will be seventy five percent pit stop crews. They'll do a little bit around the shop, um, but you know the majority of their 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 job is uh, as a performance athlete, which these guys are. You know, 
when you watch them up close and you really, you know, we did a lot of work um, on pit stop performance and, you know, trying to give them tools to analyze the pit stop strategy or the pit stop timing and the strategy of how they move around a car. It's a, it's a real skill. Um, so a lot of these guys were, were 75% uh, allocated to pit stop work. It's it's very impressive, as Brad Kozlowski can probably testify right now. Certainly, yeah. But no, I guess I'm just used to the IndyCar model, where most of your your pit crew guys yeah, have right. a have a you know Monday Monday through Friday job at the yeah. shop, and yeah. So no, all of the pit crew guys in NASCAR at the big teams, as I say, will be selected as a pit crew guy who can hold a wrench if needed, or lay a harness in a car, or you know, put a wrap on or whatever it may be. All right. So uh, we do have a little bit of news coming out of the IndyCar world, and that involves one of the uh, more popular drivers in the series, Elio Castro Neves, who will uh, be joining Myers Shank Racing on a part-time schedule in the IndyCar series, including the Indy 500. He'll run six races, including the Indy 500. I believe those races are, if I'm not mistaken, St. Pete Barber, uh, Long Beach, Indianapolis, and then the final two races of the season at Portland and Laguna. Does that sound right, Louise? Yep, that sounds right, and fingers crossed I get to be at two-thirds of that. Yeah, yeah, so, I mean, this is really, um, you know, interesting for the sport to see Elio in something other than a Penske car when you consider he's been employed uh, by Roger Penske since, you know, the year, the year 2000, so so two two decades. You know, he's uh, ran his last full season of Indy cars in 2017, and, and he didn't have a bad year that year. He finished, uh, I believe, he finished on the podium four times. He took a race win. He was fourth in points, uh, but then he was farmed off to the INSA program. And uh, other than running at the Indianapolis 500, he's been largely absent from the series. And dying to get back. The championship this weekend at Sebring, time will tell. Yes, yeah, well, yeah, Elio is leading the the IMSA points right now, so he's got uh, that going for him. So anybody who wants to say, oh, the guy is over the hill and, and, you know, he's just a field filler, I I think you're you're wrong. You haven't been paying attention to what the guy has been up to because, uh, you know, while, uh, you know, driving an IMSA car is certainly the – been very successful for a lot of retired race car drivers. They're still driving a race car at the highest level. So, uh, but when you uh, kind of look at this thing and, and look at the Shank team has been growing and improving each year. You know, they, they started with just a very uh, small operation and Indy only entry, and then they went to a, a partial entry. This year they've gone to a full season. Uh, they had a an alliance with Schmidt Peterson. They've uh, switched their alliance to. Um, Andretti, um, because uh, Schmidt-Peterson picked up Chevrolet, and then Shank is a Honda team, so they have an alliance with Andretti. So now they're picking up the second car, part-time to complement their, their first full-time car. It's, it's, a, it's a structured plan Shank has going uh, for growth, and Harvey has not been uh, disappointing a lot. He's, uh, he's had some really great runs in qualifying. He's had some you know fantastic finishes. He's also had some struggles along the way. Uh, but I think the addition of a guy like Elio Castro Neves, who's uh, won, I believe, 30 races, uh, three Indy 500s, um, has a lot to bring to the table um, when it comes to 
um, communication with the engineers in the car setup, as well as being a mentor to Jack Harvey, who's still, you know, in the early stages of his career. So, uh, Louise, uh, what, what are your thoughts on this news? I know you're, you're a big IndyCar guy, and, and I'm, I feel like you're a little bit excited about this. Uh, we've talked about – we mentioned this a couple months ago when, when Shank were looking to expand to a second car in IndyCar. We're talking yes, about I, I did, I did call this two months ago. I said this was going to happen. So Yeah, <laughs> and considering how, like I mentioned, the parallels like Honda Canada and James Hiscliffe is looking like Acura really wants to have Elios around with Penske leaving IMSA and Shank picking up the Acura elements. It, it seemed very evident that – Elio's next team is going to be with my with Meyer Shank, and the fact that this is now happening is very encouraging. It's weird seeing an IndyCar machine with a with a zero next to it. It's going to be 06 car rather than a ran another number, just 60 but reverse, just flip it as an 06, which is weird in an IndyCar because you don't see double O cars anywhere in racing these days. Yeah, so there have been a couple of O O something cars in IndyCar over the year, but yeah, not not a lot. Not, Not recently. Lot. I think it's like since Newman Haas. Rick Landry. Ware runs. Uh, is it Starcom that runs double zero? In oh, yeah. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me about that one. I don't know why I keep thinking they're number 99. Maybe it's because Derek Cope comes to mind. I don't know. But you're yeah. right. Yeah. Thanks for reminding me. Whoop. Yeah, it was bound to happen at some point. I'd make a, a, a goof moment, but oh well, it is what it is. We're all human. But yeah, in IndyCar wise, we haven't seen it in a real good while since, like I said, the Newman Haas Lanigan days. So it's weird. But back to the main subject. This is great for Elio to get some opportunity. Sure, it's only one oval instead of Texas and Gateway, but it's the biggest one of them all. And it's still a part-time deal because I know in the past. You hear people say that Elio wants to come back to the sport full-time. Maybe this is a step in the right direction, and maybe if he does real good, maybe sooner or later, maybe in 2022 or 2023, we might see him back at a full-time basis. But yeah, we, know, we, do, we do know either. that Yeah, we do know that, that Meyer Shank's ultimate goal is to run two full-time cars. They're just doing that in stages. So, you know, if Elio does well and – know attracts sponsorship and funding which is always which is always a stumbling block for um any team's expansion is that funding um they, they had, it could turn into a, a full-time ride for him but what you know when it comes to you know i like to be in the series full-time and there's precious little full-time rides available you, you know you're going to take what you can get and yeah. in my mind this is a pretty good opportunity uh for him to get yeah for sure, it's a different feel. The first time since 1999, he'll be driving for one team not named Penske when he was when he drove for Hogan. Sure, he drove for Arrow McLaren late in the season, but it's the first time 2021 will be the first since 1999 that he'll drive for one team not named Roger Penske instead of just driving for Penske and then somebody else. So it's going to be a different transition, a different feel, but I. Won't be awfully surprised if that second car does good, kind of like what we saw with Harvey in the past couple of years. I mean, you know, the other thing Elio brings to the table is 20 years <laughs> um, yeah. with intimate knowledge of how the Penske organization operates. Um, you know, and for for a a growing team wanting to expand, I'm sure that Elio has uh, some some very good ideas. Of uh, so you know so uh, you know at Penske we, did, at Penske we did things this way or they did this that that can only you know I'm not saying they're you know crazy trade secrets but um, 
but certainly he's been heavily immersed in that operation that has been very successful. Yeah, and that's what we talked about. That's going to be very key for Bayer Shank. You you need an established veteran that has to expand the program. Harvey has done real good for for that team, but it never hurts. It never hurts to have an extra car. It's the fact these days you thrive on having multiple cars in IndyCar. A single car is very difficult to compete for a championship. It really is. Oh, yeah. I mean, just evidenced by the fact that, uh, you know, Penske is expanding to four cars and so is Chip Ganassi. Uh, and these are guys that have cut back their operations in recent years while, uh, you know, Michael Andretti has continued the multi-multi-team uh, format. We see that uh, – you know, Chip and Roger are, are gravitating back towards that. So, all right, with that being said, we've got just a couple of minutes left. So, Richard, Formula One, we've got, uh, what, Turkey coming up this weekend? Richard? Yep, Turkey is the next round. Yep, uh, mute doesn't help. Uh, yes, return to, uh, to Istanbul and the infamous turn eight. Um, and uh, another sort of um, old school track, if you like, that's making a return. Oh, Turkey's that old. When was the track first used? Early 2000s, so it's, it's less than 20 years old for sure. But uh, no, it, it, it's going to be good to go back there and uh, see what these cars can can do around that turn eight. You you imagine that they generate so much downforce these days that they'll just sit there and just turn left, and as if it's not there. You know, you, you you look at some of the videos from back when they used to go around there and the driver was, like, soaring away at the wheel and the back end was stepping out and those tyres were failing, but uh, I can't quite see that being the case. But uh, I think it's a great track. And, and Lewis has the opportunity to Lewis has the opportunity to clinch right. the championship this round, right? I, yes, I don't quite know all the permutations of it, but uh, yes, very true. He could uh, could walk away with the championship this weekend. Uh, you know, it's, it's sooner or later, isn't it? I think it's going to happen at some point. But um, yeah, we, I don't, he, he's going to win it, and he deserves it. You know, he's, he's been very impressive this year. Of course, but, yeah. Um, but I guess, the, I guess Richard, I guess the bigger news is that uh, Formula One has announced a 23 race schedule for next year. Yeah, 22 confirmed races with Vietnam uh, being pulled from the schedule, which is a shame. Uh, if they don't go there, looking at all the track maps and the simulations, it looks like a fantastic circuit. But unfortunately, the one of the lead promoters for the race has been uh, arrested um, on uh, fraud charges, not related to the race, but some of his other ventures. Um, and so it may be that we don't go to uh, to Vietnam, which, which would be a, a, you know, a great shame. But there is an empty slot there in April. Um, maybe uh, an Imola or a Turkey or one of these tracks that we, you know, uh, Magello or Port Mao or somewhere like that, is, you know, could potentially step up and fill that spot and, you know, make it, you know, this, this whole Nurburgring COVID situation. Or Hockenheim. Yeah, I mean, the, the whole COVID situation, you know, as difficult it has been for a lot of people, also could potentially present an opportunity for a, a track like that to, to step up and, uh, you know, grab a race and uh, and make a return to the calendar on a more permanent basis. But uh, yeah, so there's a new, you know, 23 races is a lot. You know, it's not, excuse me, it's not like NASCAR where for the vast majority of the races the guys are home Sunday night or uh, you know very early Monday morning. You know, if you do some of these flyaway races, you as a as a mechanic or a, you know a team member, you can be away from home for for almost a month at a time. So. Uh, it's not easy on the guys, and uh, 
you know that that schedule is going to be going to be demanding and challenging. Oh yeah, without a doubt. So they're looking at beginning in April, ending in December, is what I had read. Uh, I guess we are returning to Coda next year. That's correct. Yep, Coda. At the moment, yes. At, at the moment, yes. Yeah, that's that's got to be considered up in the air given the financial difficulties the track is having. Um, but then, but then there's, of course, there's always there's always the whispers of a second U.S. Grand Prix that um, Liberty Media would really like to see, and and everything so far has fallen through. But but at the same time, you still hear these whispers that uh, you know Roger Penske with the, has a, a turnkey solution as a you know FIA Grade One track right there in uh, Indianapolis um, is is more than willing to uh, talk to Formula One about uh, returning the U.S. Grand Prix to the racing capital of the world. Yep, and they oh, got that chicane. Yeah. <laughs> yes, probably needs a little bit of uh, work done on the on the track there, but uh, yeah. yeah a little I, bit. I, but the only new new venue they've added for 2021 is at Jeddah, which is the penultimate round before they go to Abu Dhabi, in which people are not too keen about it. Yeah, so so Saudi Arabia has a contract for a new circuit, which I think is going to be built in 2023, which is a complete new facility, similar to what they have in Abu Dhabi, a complex, you know, with other features rather than just the racetrack. But I think to get them on the calendar, they're uh, looking at um, uh, having a street circuit there for a couple of years, a temporary street circuit for a couple of years before they go to this new permanent circuit. And, uh, yeah, you're right, you know, um, some of the human rights um, history of um, Saudi Arabia certainly leads a lot to be desired for for, for many many fans of, of the sport and just general yes, decency, I think. Yeah, but you know, you all know the tracks that we had to, this year. Well, you know, you, I, I see people criticised, but you look at Bahrain. Bahrain, unfortunately, hasn't been a you know a shining light of uh, you know social reform over the last ten twenty years, and, and we still go there quite happily on a regular basis. So, mm-hmm. um, I think it's very very. Uh, difficult for people to question that when when we have those things going on on a year, on an annual basis and nobody nobody questions that. So we'll see what happens. Um, it'll be you know another circuit on the calendar. I haven't actually seen a map of the circuit yet. I'll have to have a look to see if there is one out there. But um, I mean it's a growth of sport. It's a, it's a it's an oil rich nation. It's it's you know with Bahrain, Abu Dhabi, places like that. That's where the sport's moving in many many ways because of the sheer financial clout of the nation and also it's, it's a, 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 a an event that's backed by the government and the royal family of Saudi Arabia rather than a private investor which obviously always makes it a little bit difficult to secure funding so um, we'll, we'll see how that goes Yes we'll see how that goes and uh, we'll, uh, we'll talk more about that next week I guess because we are out of time so uh, I do want to thank you Richard I want to thank you Louise I want to thank the Hoobazoo Radio Network Google Podcasts, Spreaker, and iHeartRadio. But most of all, I want to thank you folks who listen to us every week. Until next week, good night. Who? 
Mary redeemed a $50,000 cash prize playing Chumba Casino this year. I was only playing for fun, so winning this was a dream come true. Chumba Casino is America's number one social casino experience. It's serious fun. With over 80 casino-style games to choose from, you too could win life-changing amounts of cash. Be like Mary. Log on to ChumbaCasino.com and give them a whirl. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void or prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. The voice in the preceding commercial was not the actual voice of a winner. 